This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. these cases where people we talk about them briefly there was one that was down i think it was in austin texas the ladyburg lake case where people are convinced there's a serial killer operating and uh, a lot were of times were those the people that were leaving the bars yeah that okay. it's, it's that one and i i it's it's complex to cover those in, in sort of real time or to any real ends. And I've, you know, I've been down this path with, with like season two of what we did. Basically, if you look at our 2020, we covered like a really specific set of stuff and we sort of started season two in 2021. And I tried to determine if there was a serial killer operating in this area of Colorado that I've always been very interested in. But when you're doing that, I found more often than not, you're not really looking at a serial killer. Like there's aspects of like big famous cases like the Zodiac killer. That one, I've always had trouble putting it all together as a serial killer. And like, I definitely believe that like there was meddling going on in like the communications with the press and the police and everything with that. And it gets sort of complex, particularly when people like name names. One of the big cases I wanted to work on was a guy named Christopher Bilo and his potential as a serial killer. And I actually had reached out to the investigators and done some recording and like talked to, in particular, there was one gentleman that was convinced he was a serial killer. And I, it wasn't that I wasn't convinced he was a serial killer it's that like you get into this real murky journalistic territory when you name someone as a serial killer and you start sort of going down the path of attempting to prove it and and having an audience it's a very strange place to operate well it is and i favor covering victims cases as opposed to which is what we did at least i mean that's usually what we did like with the colorado case right yeah but it you're right about it being murky but there's there are very very few serial killers out there i i mean i think yeah if you look at the fact that like there's 300 million people in the united states 260 million of those being adults yes the fact that like even if you had a hundred serial killers. It's a very small number, and since you have less than that, it's it, you're right. It's a minuscule number. There's it's it's there's very few serial killers operating. So today, what I wanted to talk about is sort of twofold. So first of all, someone sent me like a press package. They found this on social media through someone else, and they sent it to me, and they said, "Hey, can you cover this case? It's a victim's case, so I feel like it's right up your alley." It's weirdly in this press packet tied to like 
rumors of a serial killer operating in like Washington, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest. Did was that connection made? I'm sorry. Um, I I know that there's um, that's four or five other. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, it's in the press package they sent us, which is like so. The like I open it up. And I actually reached back out to them and I basically said, is there anybody from your side that would want to talk? And, you know, they're still sort of thinking about that. There's a, I'm doing this as kind of a bonus episode and I'm doing it on behalf of, I'm just going to be upfront. I'm doing this on behalf of a, a law firm out of Seattle that they're a civil rights law firm. They're trying to get some answers for a family. That's why I'm doing this. But in the articles that they sent to us, which were part of uh, the, it, they're in the initial like email and press package. Like the very first thing says six women found dead in less than three months. The second one is no connection between cases of six women found dead. Like they're referencing these cases in their press package. So I'm going to talk about them and um, I'm going to talk about them really openly. And I want at the end of all of this, I want people to, to hear me out on, on whether this is a, you know, what they're pushing for, is is accurate or not. And it, it's not that I'm going to come to any conclusions because really all I have right now is questions. And here's how here's how the the press package opens up. It has a, an article in it and it says, on October 12th, 2022, a 31-year-old Portland resident was found dead under suspicious circumstances near Trout Lake in Washington. She is the seventh Portland woman under the age of 40 whose death is suspicious and whose remains have been found in rural areas of the Pacific Northwest within the last year. And then it says C-linked articles and has all these articles. There's conversation online about both the serial killer and this case. And I think they're running into some trouble getting law enforcement to give some answers. I don't necessarily think that I'm in a position to be able to do that, but I do think I'm in a position to talk about her case and the cases sort of surrounding it. And I, I feel like stuff like that is important when you have a platform where people are interacting with you. The article they reference right away comes from June 13th, 2023 by Gozia Wozniaka from the Oregonian. It says no connection between cases of six women found dead in recent months most in secluded wooded areas. So the police at the Portland Police Bureau are saying there's no connection, even though these six women have been found dead within 100 miles of each other. All but one of them were in the Portland area over the past three months. What I did find in some of the conversations online is they're not the only ones. These six are not the only ones. We're going to talk about them for just a second from the perspective of, like, these are the cases that Portland Police Bureau now says aren't connected. We're going to get into a specific victim and, and we're just going to kind of like run down some of what's going on here. And this may be sort of a meandering episode, but because it's such an odd topic, but it's one that needs to be talked about. The Police Bureau said rumors have been flying on social media, stoking anxiety in the community about how the cases may be, be related. We want to provide reassurance that the speculation is not supported by the facts available at this point, police said in a press release on Sunday. So this is like two weeks before this article, um, and then this article ends up getting updated. But the Portland Police Bureau put out a press release, and they said, while any premature death is concerning, we have no reason to believe these six cases are connected. Police said there's no immediate need for concern. If we... 
learn of an articulable danger, we will notify the public about it. Authorities found the bodies of the six women between February 19th and May 7th, 2023, most of them in secluded or wooded rural areas. One body, which police identified as Kristen Smith, she's 22, was found in a wooded area in Southeast Portland's Pleasant Valley neighborhood. Another, identified that as that of Joanna Speaks, who is 32, was found inside a barn at an abandoned property in Ridgefield, Washington, which is about 22 miles north of Portland, although authorities said that the body had been moved to that location. A third, identified as Charity Lynn Perry, 24, was found in a culvert near Ainsworth State Park in East Multnomah County. Officials found another dead woman in a tent near Interstate 205 and Southeast Flavel Street in Southeast Portland's Lentz neighborhood, less than three miles from where Smith's body had been found, although they have not yet identified those remains. They also found the body of Bridget Leanne Ramsey Webster, who is 31, in Northwest Polk County, and that of Ashley Real, who's 22, in the Eagle Creek area in a heavily wooded area. One of the cases is being investigated as a homicide, four as suspicious deaths, and in one case, police say there's no foul play involved. I'm guessing the tent death is no foul play. I don't know that for sure. And then the others are sort of running the gamut there. And I just want to clarify that investigating a death as a homicide in this day and age, it's, it still could be an overdose-type death because those are now... In most jurisdictions, those are now classified as having been, they're, they're considered homicides. Like, basically, they go after a distributor or other parties involved in drug use, and that becomes a manslaughter charge, in some places a second-degree murder charge, and felony murder charge in some instances. Those are not the cases that were presented to me, that is a link from the case that was, you know, brought to me. And I'm just going to start off with an email that sort of breaks down a website here. I'm leaving one particular name out because they're flat out naming a suspect in this thing, which I feel like would be odd. They're, they're actually giving us sort of two suspects, but here's the, Here's the, the press release. Uh, this is from July 15, 2023. And it comes to me from, like I said earlier, a couple of attorneys who are working with a, a civil rights law firm out of Seattle. And it says, Hannah Walker was found dead under suspicious circumstances near Trout Lake, Washington. She is the seventh Portland woman under the age of 40 whose death is suspicious and whose remains have been found in rural areas of the Pacific Northwest this year. The other six deaths have been reported on, but no news outlet has reported Hannah's death. And the Klickitat County Sheriff's Office has issued no release. Her death should be under investigation as a potential homicide and trafficking case. Instead, it appears that it isn't being investigated at all. The family has requested to meet with the Sheriff's Office for a status update on the case. And thus far, the Sheriff's Office has refused their request. The latest communication from Sheriff Bob Songer on July 14, 2023, simply stated he was consulting with a prosecuting attorney. The family has not received a status update on the case since January. All right. So if we boil this down uh, to like really bare bones, they put a website up. It appears to be just 
hannahrosewalker.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-R-O-S-E-W-A-L-K-E-R.com. So they, they've thrown this website up for us to look at, and they're detailing their opinion of the investigation or lack thereof, uh, and they're detailing some aspects of her death. When we get into situations like this, I want to be like real clear here. I am sort of taking another party's information and I'm turning it into an episode for the sake of getting eyes on a case. I will say like this, the names that I just threw out there are not the only ones. I went digging and there are multiple names in this area, including Erica Hogg. Uh, there was Ashley Gilkey, I think is her last name. There are other missing persons that you can find in NamUs. Very recently, you can find them on the Charlie Project. My point is, there are a lot of missing people in this area that sort of fit this very loose criteria of what they're looking at. Is there a serial killer in this area? What's the Pacific Northwest? That's where a huge amount of serial killers operate. Never really known why. And specifically, the... Uh, victims you were talking about earlier, they've been found. Yeah, these are all bodies that have been found. And then the last two that I just mentioned, they have not yet been found. One of them pops up on an anti-trafficking website in the area. The other one, I found her in a Facebook group where people were looking for her. The only other place I found, I mean, she's reported missing. She's on the Charlie Project page. That's the Erica Hogg case. But she's from earlier. She's from May of 2018 out of Selma, Oregon. And she's one of those cases where there's a lot that makes her case complex. She's listed as suffering from schizophrenia, potentially being homeless. She has a very sort of adventurous, nomadic lifestyle. And the family has reasons to worry about her, including the fact that she was, she was due to show up for her son's birthday. There were medical appointments that she never misses. There were some benefits, like, from the perspective of... Uh, disability and other uh, state benefits that she gets that she has not touched. And her bank account is not been touched. So there's like reasons for family to, to sort of be missing her with Hannah, who's like the primary reason that we're talking about all of this. She has also been found. I did see KGW eight, which is a local ish news source. They had Thomas Schultz do a story about her. And that story was done on July 21st, 2023. Do you want me to start with that for you, just like to give you an overview of this, that the audience? Okay. I know you've read all of this, but the audience may not know anything about this case. So it says, more than nine months after a woman was found dead in Klickitat County Creek, attorneys for family members said that the investigation have, has been inefficient. 31-year-old Hannah Walker was found floating in the creek near Trout Lake by a patrol officer after a man who was with Hannah reported her missing. Initially, family members said a Klickakit County detective was investigating the case as a homicide before the case became inactive. Unidentified DNA was found in several places on Walker's body. Attorneys for the family have characterized the investigation into Walker's death as bizarre. In a letter to the FBI, they wrote that the Klickitat County Sheriff's Office investigation has not been urgent or transparent. We really don't know what happened yet, Hannah Walker's mother said. In a letter to the FBI asking for a federal investigation, attorney said Walker was found naked in a creek with abrasions and a large welt on her body. 
At the time, her mother said it appeared her daughter's death would be investigated thoroughly. Sheriff Songer at the time agreed that what we were showing him was definitely suspicious. She said a detective was assigned to the case and told the family he planned to investigate Walker's death as a homicide, but he was eventually reassigned to patrol. It's been a process of seeing how ineffective our system is, A.L. Walker said. So that's her mom. And, and I've seen her mom listed under a different name elsewhere, but we're going to go A.I.A. A-I-A Walker. Attorney said in a press release there was very little evidence collected from the creek where Walker was found. They claim the sheriff's office did not conduct interviews with family, friends, or associates of Hannah. Are they going to investigate? I mean, DNA, you know, is pretty significant. And then Klickitat County Sheriff Bob Songer did not respond to KGWH interview request. Attorneys for the Walker family said law enforcement told the family it could take six to eight months to receive the autopsy report back because of the backlog. It's really important to note that they have all the information showing probable foul play. So, okay. What are you thinking of this so far? Um, what is it that shows probable foul play? That's their statement is exactly what I gave you. Okay. It's really important to note that they have all the information showing probable foul play. That's a quote by the mom. Okay. Well, what I'm thinking about this, when I initially saw it, uh, so one of the key differences in this particular case is she was found in water, and she was found naked, but the story is elaborated, and it's mentioned that she was had decided to go skinny dipping. Yeah. And so that was sort of a big point for my perception of the case because I typically would say, like, well, if a woman is found naked, more than likely someone else is involved in the situation. Agreed. However, that was something I I wasn't really expecting as far as, like, them saying, like, oh, she, you know, went skinny dipping. And her family said, I I believe it was something to the effect of she went around the corner to, like, take her suit off and go skinny dipping. And her family was like, no, she would have just taken it off right there in front of everybody. So it wasn't, like, this weird thing, right? Right. And so that took that sort of element out of the equation for me as far as, like, oh, she was naked, so someone else has to be involved. Yeah, it, it did the same thing for me. So, so let me just say up front, we're going to speculate about this case because in case people don't know this, okay, one of the ways that you get traction with a case like this is to do something controversial. So today we're going to talk about it from the perspective of, you know, what happened, what they put on the website, what facts have they you know shared with us here. And then I'm going to see if I can come up with some sort of controversial opinion about this, whether it is the homicide trafficking route or some other route. And I, you know, I do that and I say that because that's what gets people talking about a case and that's what gets leads about a case. But if you go too far with it, you can end up accusing the wrong people. You can end up hindering an investigation. You can end up hindering a defense later. You can end up helping a defense later. And you and I, work very hard to not do any of that through the research that we do to put true crime excess out. Right. And so what we have here, I feel like is the death of a young woman and there has now I say this based on what I've been able to kind of get through this source, through other sources Every source I've had, we have a young woman who died tragically, regardless of how it was, 
and no answers, right? Yeah, yeah. The family has way more questions than they have answers right now. And I totally understand their perspective on it. And I feel like sometimes a different set of eyes looking at it can be helpful because some of the things even you mentioned in that article, and I don't, are you going to read the sort of account of what happened that? Yeah, um, I'm going to do the case breakdown just from the perspective of it provides some facts. I just want to be real careful with like using the different people's names. Well, you don't have to um, use their names if you don't want to. It's really, to me, it's sort of irrelevant, yeah, it's it, you can look at this like from an overhead perspective at this stage of where things are at. You can look at it, and I think you just need to know that there are players involved here. You don't necessarily need to know who they are yet. So let me do that. Okay, so the case breakdown, if you go to HannahRoseWalker.com, there's a, a section where you can go to a case breakdown here. And it's a little odd, but I'm, I'm going to walk through the whole thing. Uh, at the top, it says, the facts of Hannah's case are detailed in public records. We want to share what we know with the hope that more information is brought to light, which is the same thing that Meg and I are trying to do today. We don't know what happened to Hannah. We don't know if it was premeditated murder, an accidental killing, or even a simple accident. What we do know is that there are enough facts and questionable details to label it a suspicious death that it needs to be thoroughly investigated. Do you agree with that? I think there's a couple of things here that I do have questions about. I don't know if I have questions about the same thing that's being laid out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, my answer, if you ask me if I agree with that, I would say yes, because, uh, you know, this is a young lady who, because she was found floating in the water, I'm going to say drowned. This is a young lady that drowned and everything uh, leading up to that point, it seems like she shouldn't have, right? Yes. now the the difference is like sh- nobody has said she's drowned. It does not appear that they have. Okay, and I feel like that could be part of the problem. However, some of the things that you're about to talk about, I feel like they lend towards the presumption she drowned. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could see in a small agency, which. If you, if you look at this, like if you just sort of go, you know, I want to know more about Clickacat County, Washington, which is, you know, obviously a part of this, even though she's not there. I think the population in that area is something like 20,000 people for the entire county. I, don't quote me on that, but I think it's a very low number. So that means your agency and your resources are going to be small and you're going to have to use them effectively. A case like this, I could see how it becomes slow. And I could see how it becomes like one where like you have to have the right set of eyes on it. I, I, weirdly, I think they automatically have federal jurisdiction in this case for at least one Oregon office or Portland office of the FBI to take a glance at this because of crossing state lines, in my opinion. Well, possibly. Um, she did cross on her own accord there. So. I know. So this is the they, they have this map laid out here. And the first Part of the map is Hannah was out of town with a friend uh, and a 67 year old man. Yeah. And, and he is a friend. He, she was in Trout Lake, Washington, and she's found in a creek near Trout Lake. She was shaken from a domestic violence incident that had taken place less than a week before. We'll get to that in a minute. Hannah went for a swim in the creek. She never came back. Uh, hours passed, according to this. And the friend... He called the police who came and they found her 
lifeless body floating naked in the creek. The next section that the mind map points us to is DNA was found under both sets of fingernails, meaning Hannah's left hand, Hannah's right hand, from an unidentified person. And then it says a sexual assault kit found semen in the vaginal canal. No suspects were asked to provide DNA. That's what it says here. Right. And so, okay, that part of it seems pretty normal to me as far as her being, like, if she drowned. The issue that I see sort of is nobody has said anything about her being sexually assaulted, right? Uh, For the most part, we have no idea whether she was sexually assaulted or if it was consensual. No, I think it ties back to what you said earlier. Woman found dead naked. We do a sexual assault kit because that's where you start. Well, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and I don't have a problem with that. But how do they know DNA was found under her fingernails? Well, we're going to get to that here in a minute. It's uh, We're, we're going to keep moving down. Remember, what I'm pulling from is what I'm being given directly. So the next section here says three days after Hannah's death, Hannah's mother still didn't know where she was or what had happened. On Saturday, so she goes out of town and then days passed. And on Saturday, three days after Hannah's death, her mom contacted Klickitat County requesting a welfare check on Hannah. One hour later, police showed up at her door to deliver the news that she was deceased. So at least her mom knew enough to know roughly where she was to get her checked on. Then they have two little sections here that that say... All records show that Hannah was barefoot and no shoes were recovered. And then a second little mini section says her swimsuit was found on the shore next to boot prints. Following that, the section says Hannah's autopsy didn't take place until nine days after her death. Lab results determined that there was alcohol in her system, but experts agree that the levels are likely inaccurate because tests weren't run immediately and the body produces alcohol during normal decomposition after death. We've touched on that before. I don't know how accurate this information is, but again, small area. Uh, if the autopsy took some time, that's a possibility. It says the only drugs found in Hannah's system were the medications she was prescribed and her levels matched her prescribed dosage or what's known as a therapeutic level. And then it says there's inconsistencies in the evidence logs. And the following section says that the Klickitat County Sheriff's Office moved the case from active to inactive. They had made little effort to continue communications with Hannah's family. The family felt that they were forced to hire a lawyer and were only then able to acquire the public records associated with Hannah's death. We've used those records to outline the timeline of Hannah's death and subsequent days here. Next section says... Postmortem blood alcohol concentration, or BAC levels, cannot be used to determine the level of intoxication at the time of death. High BAC levels may develop during putrefaction, and levels up to 0.2% do not necessarily indicate that alcohol was imbibed before death. In addition, BAC levels may be influenced by the body's own metabolism and other environmental factors. As such, the results of a postmortem BAC test should not be used as a definitive indicator of whether or not alcohol was a factor in Hannah's death. Roughly, I agree with that. Like all of that stuff is accurate information. I am in this section, I'm not provided with specifics on it, but yes, 
a lot of that is what I know to be accurate in death investigations. Do you agree? I do. Okay. Uh, then there's sort of this like mini section with a bunch of little pieces. And those are the friend's car was never searched. The officials questioning of that friend, the 67 year old man who was with her were very limited. They did not request to search his cabin or collect any physical evidence from him or perform any sort of physical examination of him. The friend did not contact Hannah's family after her death and none of her physical possessions were collected or recovered from this man's cabin. And then it says, as far as we know, the friend was never officially named a suspect. However, through some recent digging into the public records of this case, we found out that the friend was asked to take a polygraph, but he he refused to do so upon the advice of counsel. For some reason, they're very upset about that, but they're also lawyers. So I don't understand. I, I follow where they're headed, but I don't understand. Like, I, I would tell someone, don't take a polygraph. So all this information is given. And, it, you know, I don't see any reason why the friend's car would have been searched. I don't see any reason why he would have needed to be physically examined by the police officers, right? He was there uh, at the lake with her. And after she went off by herself swimming, uh, some time passed and she didn't return and he called 911. Yeah, he sort of did what you're supposed to do in a situation like he was facing, which to me is it's neither an indicator of innocence or an indicator of guilt. It's just sort of he did it. Now, if he had done nothing, I'd be way more suspicious. Sure. You're right. You can't really tell from that. But, you know, we also don't have a whole lot of information as far as, like, what was their friendship. But they had been friends for a long time. And he was, like, double her age, more than double her age, right? He is, yeah. Uh, The fact that he didn't contact her family, I don't find that strange. I feel like he may not have even known her family. That that would be my question there is, is there a pre-existing relationship with him and the family? And like, is there a previous interaction that makes that a really odd thing? Right. We haven't gotten there yet, but it was mentioned earlier. She was having a, a, an issue with domestic violence. And that was with regard to a boyfriend. Who is not this man. Who is not this man. That's correct. And so we don't know the nature of really anything that was going on, except she through her own free will, went to go hang out with this dude at his vacation house, right? Right. And I don't even know how long she was there. They went down to the um, sort of a beachy area on the lake, and she went off to go swimming, and he said she made the choice to go skinny dipping, and then she just never came back. So he didn't... Now, I don't really know exactly, I can't really see it in my mind exactly, but looked around for her a little bit, I guess. And then he told the police that he felt like she might have left him there. And when he was talking to either the officer or the 911 operator, he had been watching the time because he was concerned about being out in the sun too long. Yes. Okay. And so that's not somebody that's preoccupied with you know, planning and, you know, carrying out a plan for murder. I don't think not even specific to this 
particular situation. It just sounded like a very sort of benign comment to make, right? And because they were asking him, like, how long has she been gone? And he said, well, I I looked at the clock because I was concerned about being in the sun too long. And I thought, well, you know, that seems that seems really, really normal. I, I don't know if you think that or not, but that yeah, was me. Yeah, I, you know, overall, I don't, I have not been presented with anything that looks real suspicious on, on his side yet. I'm, I'm sort of going through this, um, and I get their questions. They do have a series of, um, I don't know, about nine or ten questions here that they kind of close out the 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 sort of mind map here. And I am, I'm going to, I'm going to list them and I want to see if you have an answer for any of them. Okay. The first one is why weren't there any warrants issued to collect DNA? From where? Exactly. It's, it's kind of a broad question. I think they're referencing like from the friend, from his car, from his cabin, from other places. I, I feel like that that would be sort of irrelevant because there's no question she was in all those places. I see what you're saying. I mean, I could see looking for like evidence of blood. You're going to want to have a reason to do that. That's the first big thing there. And the reason is, okay, we've got a dead body. But if we believe she died in the water, it's sort of not as helpful to us to to know, like, is her DNA in his cabin, his car, et cetera, because... right. Um, so, so okay, I, I understand why they're asking the question. I don't know that they're going to get an answer. I would say the answer, you know, why weren't there any warrants issued to collect DNA? Well, unless they have definitively decided that she was sexually assaulted in the course of her drowning, I don't know that any of that DNA found is relevant to her death. I think you hit the nail on the head there, which is their second question, which is what is the cause of death? And until you know that, like, you would be putting the cart before the horse if you don't have a good autopsy. Because the autopsy is what you're going to base your probable cause for your search warrant on. Having found, like, that she has died from any of the things they're asking above, where there's a potential for an accidental death or there's a potential for an intentional death. As soon as it comes back that it's undetermined or a homicide that's when you start writing the probable cause affidavit. I would say that you would have everything you needed to at least get a warrant from the friend. And what you would be looking for is his DNA to compare it. But it's still not going to get you to, like, he killed her because, like, there's no question they were together. He was already at the scene. He's the one who reported finding her. So automatically, if it's a... He didn't actually find her. He I'm, called, so, I'm sorry. He is the one who prompted her she was missing right yeah he prompted her to the discovery of her remains which that person is typically first on the list right if there's something that's undetermined or intentional now and as you mentioned earlier about him refusing to take a polygraph i don't have any problem with the fact the, the fact that he refused to take a polygraph doesn't say anything at all to me at all no he was with her he has a reason to believe he'll be the prime suspect Whether whether he did it or not, the polygraph is sort of irrelevant. Just like, and and people may not know this, but just a nervous person can fail a polygraph. Yeah, they can. And they aren't, so they're not admissible in court. The only thing a polygraph is going to do, it's going, it could possibly end the investigation into you. But it could also open up a lot of other things that 
don't need to happen, right? Yeah. And so I don't necessarily blame him. You can kind of tell, well, I read the transcription of him talking. Like this is a 67-year-old man who was very upset that his friend either left him there or uh, went off to go swimming and not return. I mean, he was upset about it, right? And so reading that, um, I imagine it really rattled him. And so... I, and plus, I don't think there's an attorney on earth that would be like, yeah, go ahead and go take that polygraph no, in a situation like this. No. So we're going to get more into, well, let me finish the questions. Then. Let me give you the rest of the questions. Why did it take so long to have the body autopsy? Because it's a small uh, county with uh, limited resources. Yeah. If it has its own local medical examiner or coroner, um, that's going to be one thing. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but if it's in a big, if it has to go to a bigger place, like the last couple of places I've lived, it had to literally go to another city for an autopsy to take place if remains were found. And when when that happens, there are delays. And if there's not something obvious that needs to be addressed, gunshot wounds, things like that, it, it can push. I, and I don't I don't want to make it sound like she her death means less. I'm just saying it can. It uh, shouldn't have taken nine days. I I just, I just I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Anything sinister about the fact that it did? Right. It's probably. I mean, it could very well be like the person who's supposed to do it. You know, they were out sick or something. I, I don't know, but I'm sure that you know whatever the answer is, it's no reflection upon her personally. Yeah, and it, it, it and there's probably no excuse for it either. It's just it's, it's, how it is. Yeah. Um, so the next question is why did click attack County stop investigating Hannah's case? I don't know the answer to that yet, unless they come to a conclusion. I would say that they ran out of leads. Yeah. And moving something to inactive does not mean that the case is closed. It means that the case has run out of things for a detective or whatever they use in this area, uh, to run down the leads. Why did the friend refuse to take a polygraph? Well, Council told him to. We just addressed that. The phone number for Hannah that the friend gave to police was not the same number her family had. That's a question they have. Why is why was that? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know I have multiple phone numbers. I don't know if you do. Like I have phone numbers that are used like for specific things. Um, and then I have like one phone that I think everybody close to me, that's the number they would know. But the other phone numbers are like forwarding numbers and, and voice numbers and stuff for different types. Of, I would call them like business transactions. Like if people are calling True Crime Access, it goes to one number. If people are like talking to me personally, that goes to another number. I have other ventures that each have their own phone number. Don't know that that's going to be the case here, but it could just be. Well, she had an extra phone. I don't know if, if you heard uh, or you read the transcript. I'm sorry. But. uh he said that he didn't know the phone, the phone number, and he retrieved it for, I believe it was the 911 operator. He could have just accidentally given them the wrong number. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was my The way overall. that the conversation went, he was like, I don't know it, but I can probably get it for you. And then he, you know, of course, the, the number's redacted in the, in the transcript, right? Um, and so I don't know what the number was, but he gave them a phone number 
but I assume he did that off his phone while he was talking on his phone and all kinds of things can go wrong. But another thing is like, you're right. Uh, she may have different numbers for different people, right? I think or you can, an old number or right. Exactly. Or, you know, you can have, you can, there's a lot of things um, there that I don't find. I don't see what benefit anyone could sort of, pull over on anyone by giving anybody somebody's wrong number. Yeah. I don't see what difference it makes. I, I do realize that when you're, you know, trying to put together, you know, what happened to this, this young lady, I see that you want to put everything possible in. Right. I just yeah. don't feel like that's a big deal. Yeah. So then we have, why was the friend asked to take a polygraph? Uh, that's pretty standard to clear somebody at a scene, even if you don't actually give everyone that's at a scene a polygraph, that's pretty standard to ask because you're because polygraphs are about mind games to some degree. You are trying to see how willing they are to stand behind what they just told you. Well, and probably uh, if you had taken a polygraph, they could have possibly had more leads or possibly not had more leads. And so I, I feel like that you're right, it's just a standard practice, there was nothing unusual about. Um, when a question has been raised or it remains unknown, and uh, especially when a family is pushing um, for, you know, closure, I feel like it's pretty standard um, that that's an avenue police could take or investigators could take would be to ask the last person seen with the person who was found uh, in a suspicious death circumstance to take a polygraph. Yeah, I agree with that. What happened to the evidence collected at the scene? I, the police are cagey with evidence. You never know what's happened there. It, it is possible that stuff gets lost, but generally speaking, they don't tell you what they have. In a situation where someone drowns, I don't know how much evidence anybody collects. That's a good point. I mean, a lot of the evidence at that point would be the body and whatever the clothes were that immediately... One of the things that um, make this death unusual is the fact that uh, she was off by herself and nobody saw her drown, right? It's an unattended death at that point, yeah. Right. And so to me, something happens, which, I mean, it's actually not that weird because think about how many people go missing in a body of water and their body is found later, right? And it's in the water and they drowned. I mean, if you think about it that way, it would, you know, it would lean towards not necessarily needing a whole lot of evidence to be collected because she was last seen swimming and somehow she drowned. If I mean, that's the case. In my opinion, the body is the evidence in a case like this. It's the bulk of it's the starting point, at least for the evidence. And then, so the last question they asked sort of up top here, and then we'll get more into the meat of this. Why was the friend wearing Hannah's hoodie that night? And I don't know the answer to that. People put on clothes at weird times and do weird things. I, I, I do not know the answer to why somebody ends up with somebody else's hoodie on. But I can tell you right now, it, that does not make a suspect. My my wife has my clothes on all the time, and particularly when like we're at the beach or the pool or whatever. Well, right. I, I figured he probably just got cold because uh, he he was there and then he was dealing with a whole different situation than he thought he was going to have to be 
dealing with. So they had gotten there like uh, sometime between three and four. He called 911 sometime after six. And uh, her body wasn't found until uh, 10. And so he had been out in the sun. And that's another thing, though, that makes me think that um, he probably had no clue, like, what had happened to her. He just casually picked up her hoodie that she had left behind or was in the V. I don't know where it was. He was probably just cold. The rest of this webpage, they sort of outline a little bit of the week before Hannah's death. So less than a week before Hannah's death, her ex-boyfriend was incarcerated for domestic violence following a heated argument between the two. The boyfriend was booked into the county jail in Portland at Multnomah County. Because Hannah didn't follow up with the district attorney's office, he ends up being released from jail without being charged on October 10th of 2022. The detective that was on this case, and I, I did not find him listed as a detective. There's literally only 20 employees of this sheriff's agency out there. I found this guy listed as what would be known as the undersheriff or the like the chief deputy. He says that he, he, in his report, he looked into the domestic violence between Hannah and her ex, and he noted that he found in some of the other reports that Hannah and the ex had had multiple domestic disturbances between each other. In his report, he says that he called the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend, and to verify his whereabouts the night of Hannah's death. He had been released from jail on Monday and had worked his usual shift Wednesday night. The week leading up to Hannah's death was un- undoubtedly fraught with emotional strain. And I'm reading their words here. The ex's release from jail marked a turning point that coincided with Hannah's decision to leave town And she was seeking solace away from the tumultuous circumstances, and she found herself in the company of her friend near Trout Lake. The incident report is is thrown onto the website here. The gist is the boyfriend was working. The person investigating this on page nine of this uh, uh, incident report here, when he went to verify it, it appeared that he had been working. That gets confirmed. Essentially, the ex's alibi confirms that somewhere down the line, he was able to verify that uh, the the boyfriend was allegedly at work. And I don't, you know, as, as to how real that is and how much that counts, I don't know. But like once you have an alibi like that where somebody's at work, there are multiple witnesses that you can build up later that will know that person was at work for some reason. Unless they're like, I, you know, I know some people that work really solitary jobs where it would be difficult, but it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this is sort of a, a, a service job where like it would be very easy to track him. Although I will say he did not verify that alibi until March and this death happens in October. Do you have any idea how far away like we're talking here? Between uh, Portland and Lake Trout. Portland, Oregon to Lake Trout, Washington is about 87 miles. 87? 87 miles. It's an hour okay. and a half drive minimum. Does that answer your question there? Yeah, I just was curious because um, my presumption was that there was no reason he would even know where she was, the ex. I sort of got the idea overall that like that was why she was here. She was yeah, here she was. specifically so the ex didn't know where she was, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So the day before Hannah died, the blurb here is, on October 11, 2022, Hannah texts with her mom. And she tells her that 
she is shaken up by what happened with her ex. She tells her mom that she's heading out to Lake Trout with this friend to the cabin, um, which is what is described as this friend's vacation home. She talks about the plans that she has for when she gets back into Portland, and they briefly discuss Thanksgiving. Hannah usually shared her location with her mom in case of emergencies, but she turned it off the day before her death. And I'll tell you this, that's not her turning it off so that mom can't find her. I know what that is. That's her turning off her location so her ex can't find her. That's what she's doing. That's entirely possible. I mean, but it also, though, you know, she told her mom where she was going. If she says, I'm headed to the cabin or whatever, that's not a specific location. And if the ex doesn't know that specific location or only knows it generally speaking, I would turn off my location. That's all I'm saying there. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm agreeing with you. Okay. So the day that Hannah died, and this is their breakdown. The day of Hannah's death, she was talking with her mom, letting her know that she was heading out to the creek. She leaves some of her things at the cabin, and then she and her friend head to the creek. The lawyers are saying that none of her physical possessions were ever collected or recovered from this cabin or from this friend. The The time that Hannah and the friend arrive at the creek isn't quite clear, according to what they're saying. All there is to go on is what the friend told the deputy the night she died. In the body cam footage, the, the deputy asks the friend what time he last saw Hannah. And he replies, and this is a quote. It's difficult for me to recall exactly, but I remember looking at um, at the time because I wanted to make sure I didn't stay in the sun too long, which is what Meg was referencing earlier. I remember I come here, I check the time, but I think I was here for a little while before I checked the time. And now I can't remember. I think maybe she had just left, but it was somewhere around that time. I recall it was 3.38. So somewhere between 3.38 and 4 o'clock, I guess, somewhere right around 3.30 or 4.00. That's when the deputy is is asking him, when was the last time he saw Hannah? And then the deputy asks him, what time did they come out here? And the friend says, oh, I think we left Trout Lake about, must have been 2.40. Like he's trying to time it. He thinks they were at this spot for 45 minutes or so. So the two of them park the car. They walk down to the creek and they put a sheet on the shore so they can sit on it. According to the friend, Hannah decided to go for a swim, and she never came back. What time she went into the water exactly is not 100% clear. They have two conflicting statements. One, that they sat there for a while, and two, that Hannah went in immediately after they got there. My guess is we're not ever going to know the answer to that because this all sounds like he's just kind of guessing. And I was going to say, I I felt like that was sort of, uh, because it says that he gave two conflicting statements. And, like, th- these aren't, like, official statements. These are, like, him talking with the investigators that are on the scene after he's called 911 because she didn't come back, right? Yeah. I don't feel like those, that can necessarily be, like, it shouldn't be used against him. He's just trying to get the information out to the officers, I think. Nothing so far is alarming me about the front. The way this goes next is her swimsuit is found on the beach or the shore of the creek, and it's not far from where they were sitting. 
In the first coroner's report, and this is according to these to this law uh, firm, it says that Hannah went around the bin for some privacy. She took off the swimsuit and she went skinny dipping. People close to Hannah find this information troubling for multiple reasons. One, Hannah wasn't a bashful person. If she wanted to go skinny dipping, she wouldn't feel the need to hide it from anyone. Two, how did the coroner know that Hannah went around the bend? The friend was the only one there. So they're making the assumption that he must have told them that Hannah did that. But he doesn't give that information to the deputy at the scene or to the 911 operator. I think they're basing it. And this is me talking. I think that they're basically the coroner is just saying she was down around the bend, took off her swimsuit and went skinny dipping, maybe based on either placement of the swimsuit or it might just be that's what they thought and that's what they wrote and they moved on. I don't think that's a nefarious statement. I do think it could be a little bit inept, but I don't think it's anything nefarious. In the 911 call, the friend says, I came back to the car. I waited around for a little while. I left the towel in the sheet that we were sitting on and her cell phone on there because I wanted, I thought if she did, perhaps if she showed up, that she would be able to call somebody. But I'm back at the car now and she's not there uh, at the car either. Look, when this happens, I, I believe stories that have a little difference in them more than I believe stories that stay the same. So when someone is trying to be helpful and they are slowly but surely like giving you more information, that is not a reason to be super suspicious of them. It's not necessarily a sign they're being completely honest, but usually stories should change a little like as the progression of the seriousness of the situation changes. Right. And I feel like we're going to see in just a second Perhaps why he was slightly rattled. By all accounts, according to these guys, okay, there is a blurb on here. It's from the, the coroner from an email to Hannah's mom. And it, it says, Hannah was a victim of domestic abuse, decided to get away to Trout Lake. She was going to go swimming at Trout Creek. She and a longtime friend arrived at the creek around 3.30 or 4 p.m. Hannah got into the water, went around the bend for some privacy, removed her swimming suit, and was skinny dipping. After some time, she hadn't come back, so the friend went looking for her. He was unable to find her, so he called 911. Uh, A deputy responded to the scene. It was dark, but he managed to locate Hannah on the other side of the creek. She was face down in the water. Search and rescue was, was called, and they came out to retrieve her. And the coroner says, I pronounced the death at 2232 on Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Hannah will be taken to Clark County Medical Examiner's Office in Vancouver, Washington for autopsy. So there's the answer to one of the questions that that people are going to have about this. And if you look at that on a map, it's exactly what I was talking about. When you go from one area to another, there's there's a distance of about 100 miles between uh, where we're at at Trout Lake and Vancouver, Washington. So it is a different city and county that's headed to it. The autopsy has yet to be scheduled. I will let you know when she's been transported. Your next step should be to contact a funeral home of your choice and let them know that Hannah is at the medical examiner's office in Vancouver and they can schedule a time to pick Hannah up when she has been released. Okay, and so that is where I got the 10.32 time from. So that may not be, that's when uh, the coroner pronounced her death. Yeah. So she may have been uh, found before then. Uh, I, I don't know why she, I got it in my head that it was 1032 when she was found. So it wasn't 1032 when she was found. It was 1032 when she was pronounced dead. This is just a 
summary from the coroner to the mom, right? This is just a, a rundown that he's doing where he's basically pulled. And, and to me, it literally looks copy and pasted from the coroner's report to this email. And because it has this personal information where he's saying, I'll let you know when she's been transported. I think it's literally a copy paste job. And that's how you account for her going down around the bend. Also, I think he's trying to be nice to the mom. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, because um, this is this is a hard situation. Even if you're used to doing this every day, it's this. But is, this isn't necessarily like. I mean, it could be. I guess. I assume it was part of a public records release, and you know, it could be some sort of evidence. But this is just uh, information that's being provided to the family of someone who has died. Yeah, it's slightly it. misrepresented by this law firm. Nothing personal, guys. But like you said, coroner's report by email to Hannah's mom, and then it literally says in here. Your next step should be to contact a funeral home. He's having an email conversation from the coroner to mom. Right. And we sort of wrap up this section of their website with Hannah was, by all accounts, a strong swimmer. She loved swimming and did so regularly. In the 911 call, the friend says she's a really strong swimmer. So I expected I wasn't really worried about her for at least an hour. And then she just never showed up. I started to go, God damn it. She just left me here. She just left me here and stranded me here. She never came back. And now I'm really freaking worried now. After waiting for hours, the friend calls the police at 6.48 p.m. to report Hannah's missing. The operator asks the friend to describe his address, and after she determined he is at Trout Creek Road, she asks what the problem is. The friend says, I came here with a friend of mine, and uh, she's a great swimmer. We went down to the, uh, she wanted to go swimming, so we went down to the, and the operator says, sir, what's going on right now that you've called 911? The friend says, she's lost, she's not come back. So the operator says, so we've got a missing person, okay? And that's what I was talking about, him being rattled. Yeah. The operator asks for Hannah's phone number, and the friend says, I can't find out if you like me. Uh, uh, it's like a, she doesn't have her phone right now, so it doesn't really matter. Want me to look it up? I can look it up for you. But he knows the phone is sitting right there on the sheet because he left it there. Right. So he gives the operator a number that Hannah's family didn't have. So the deputy arrives. Friend is waiting by the running car with the headlights on. It's dark now. The friend attempts to lead the deputy down to the beach where Hannah's belongings were. And he mentions he left them just in case she came back. And they have this on body camera, by the way. They took a wrong turn and they get lost. But eventually they find the area on the beach where they were. That deputy sends out the coordinates of the beach to search and rescue. The friend continues to lead the officer down the path, and the deputy spots a swimsuit next to the tall grass. The friend says, I mean, today I was just here, like, earlier today, and I didn't see that. But, of course, I just couldn't miss it. But it's just hard to see if it hadn't been there, and it's really dark. It's, like, sort of like it, though. The deputy says, I mean, it's clean, so it hasn't been here for a day and got covered in dust. Let me look around for any footprints or anything. And the friend says it's hard for him to tell if, if it is Hannah's swimsuit because the color looks different. It is, in fact, Hannah's swimsuit. And there are boot prints photographed at the scene next to Hannah's swimsuit. All accounts show that Hannah was barefoot and there were no shoes recovered at the scene. The deputy tells the friend he's going to go downstream. He gives them the option to go with him, wait there, or leave. The friend becomes very distressed and says, I should have called earlier, but it wouldn't have made a difference. He tells the deputy he wants to leave because he's cold. The deputy asks another officer to assist and heads downstream, where shortly after, he discovers Hannah's body. So Hannah's lifeless body is found floating naked in shallow water about two feet deep near the place that she was last seen. 
Deputy Warren noted that the river was approximately 40 feet across, but only four to five feet deep at its deepest areas. Also noted that the water was not fast moving, and the deputy asked the friend a couple of questions before letting him leave, requesting another officer help him to his car. They don't ask to see inside of his car. Now, after the friend leaves, the search and rescue team for the county coordinate with the deputy to assist in recovering the body from the water. She was found with contusions, abrasions, and bruises, but she did not have a head injury. They go further in this, and they um, they sort of run down the investigation, but we've talked about most of this already. It, it sort of becomes repetitive here. Uh, there was, you know, there was an attempt to get more cooperation out of the friend, uh, and the case is currently classified as inactive. The only other thing of note for me was... The autopsy report says that Hannah's lungs were on the heavy side, suggesting she inhaled water. The autopsy says submersion in water complicated by ethanol, but that's troubling because they find they did not find any evidence of alcohol consumption at the scene. The friend didn't mention that she'd been drinking or had any difficulty on this trail that they were wandering down. There was significant time that would have elapsed from the time she was at their cabin until they reached the beach if she had been drinking there. Plus it's sort of like by the times he says, it's sort of, it would have been day drinking. Uh, and the, the human body does produce alcohol post-mortem. And they mentioned that here. So is the autopsy back or not? I, I don't think it's back. I think what they're talking about here, I think they're talking about the back and forth conversations that are being had with the medical examiner, with the family. And, and there is some stuff in here from the investigative side where they're also trying to get an answer about the cause of death. So we've already talked about the blood alcohol concentration levels and the fact that like the autopsy took place nine days after the death. And this says that autopsy should be performed within five days of death unless the coroner obtains an order from the Supreme Court extending that time. And they're saying no such order has been found in Hannah's case. And then they go into submersion, which is defined differently than drowning. Submersion is defined differently than drowning. Drowning is the process of experiencing respiratory impairment, whereas submersion is the airway is below the surface of the liquid. The toxicology report showed that Hannah had prescribed drugs in her system. That makes me think that they've gotten some of this back because toxicology is usually the last thing. Well, I just would like to see um, cause and manner. And I want to, I would like to see this welt. Okay. All right. I'm not going to go a lot further into this. If people want to read about this case, there are going to be more places online that you can find as, as more people get the press packet and start talking about it, just like we're doing here. Okay. Right. I, I don't have enough information to come to a conclusion. Do you? I, I would at least have to see cause and manner. Well, so what do you think the first thing I did with this case when I couldn't find cause or manner of death? Requested an autopsy report? I'm trying to get that. And then I went nosing around online. Uh, you can find a few conversations about this that have taken place over the last couple of months online. Uh, somebody's doing a really good job pushing this out to social and trying to get some traction on it. One of the reasons I'm talking about it. There's a lot of talk of like sort of the sheriff's department and uh, like misconduct and different stuff. If you go looking online, I don't. I'm not going to get into all of that here because it's not. I feel like that's the wrong direction. Yeah. Anytime you go for a conspiracy in a case like this, it gets a little crazy. So, okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, this is not a serial killer. I don't think. I don't think there's any way that happened. Um, I'm always amazed when 
Okay, so she was in a remote area, right? Uh, she was swimming with a friend in a remote area. Relatively remote area, yeah. And then all of the victims you mentioned earlier who had been recovered, they were all in remote wooded areas. Yes. Okay. And to me, that says it's less likely, it's almost impossible for it to be like a random thing, right? I think so. A, a random serial killer uh, you know, finding one random person. Now, th- there's no information as to, you know, how many people were out at the, in that area that day. Like, we don't have any of that information, right? Correct. Um, and so all we're presented with is, like, she's with her friend. She goes off swimming. Uh, she doesn't come back. He panics. And I, I do feel like he he was very, very concerned, right? Um and then the cop finds her with very little searching, right? Yeah. I'm confident to say that if in a normal circumstance where someone uh, close by is being drowned by someone, typically uh, you would hear it. Yeah. Uh, you would hear something. I mean, you know, and I thought about this, like they're saying they have the toxicology. So she's not really drunk. So let's just think about that for a second. She's not really drunk. She's not really high. If they're seeing therapeutic levels of her own prescription medications, I think we're in a, a pretty good position to say, but okay, she's probably not those things. I'll, I'll agree with that because like drownings can happen for a number of reasons. Uh, we don't know. I, I'm going to come back to this wealth thing in a second. We don't know. I, like, I don't understand exactly the relationship here. From what I've read online, this guy that's the friend is married, but it's a known thing that he has had some level of friendship or relationship with this woman. I did find her, like his, I found the other part of this online, like uh, a wife related to this guy. Don't know 100% sure that I'm right. I think I'm right. It's an odd situation when someone ends up getting uh, immersed, submersed, drowning type, undetermined death. Uh, There's a huge age difference in the two. She's 31 years old and he's 67 years old. I, you know, I would have to ask like other people to, to, to get a good feeling on if that's really weird. I think it's a little weird. Generally speaking, all right, I think this this could be a homicide. I don't understand why they're asking for a homicide and trafficking investigation because I don't think it's any kind of trafficking that I'm aware of. And I, I, think, I even think the possibilities of this being homicide are pretty remote. I kind of – I I feel the same way. Um, I do realize that – so this is another thing that kind of splits my brain because – Based on what I've seen, uh, the the investigators that arrived, law enforcement that were there when she was reported missing and they went out, they did not see this as anything but a drowning, right? That's what I think is going on. I think law enforcement looked at this and thought of it as a drowning. The family is looking at, I assume they're looking at like contusions and bruises in maybe either autopsy. Somebody's viewed the body. Well, I wish that they would put out. Or make available. 
because there's so much here that's been done. I feel like that's a big deal. I can't tell if it's, if I don't know what's happening as far as the autopsy goes, but you know, if the autopsy comes back as accidental and it's, if, if the manner is accidental and the cause of death is drowning, you know, that would be a reason why the investigation wouldn't continue. Um, now, yeah. where did I see the welt? Uh, the welt is mentioned multiple places, and I want to talk about that for a second. So, okay, so more than likely this is an accidental drowning. I'm just going to throw that out there. But it should be, by investigation, like that should be able to be discovered. And this is not related to a serial killer. If it is a homicide, they've got pretty good suspects that like are sitting right there in front of them. I I don't feel like any like it's a suspicious death. It's not a homicide, but I did have a couple of weird thoughts. And like I said at the beginning, like I wanted to say some kind of controversial things. Do you have any controversial serial killer homicide related things you want to say? Well, I don't know exactly what that means, but when I read whatever I saw, it cuz it was talking about she had abrasions on her body and a welt, W-E-L-T, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had this terrible flashback to when I was stung twice on two different days by the same wasp. I got something I would consider to be a welt, right? And that immediately got me thinking like, well, a welt is something that comes from very specific things happening, right? It's not like you could hit someone with the intention of making a welt. I think that... um, They said she doesn't have like a head injury. And that's what I would think of in a homicide like this, either neck or head injuries. Right. But um, I'm saying though that like, they've said there's a welt on her body, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, what causes a welt? I don't know of anything besides uh, like a weird sting or bite from something that causes welts. Do you know of anything? I mean, you can have an allergic reaction to something. It's It's always possible that this is an anaphylactic reaction. I would think most anaphylactic reactions would have been picked up in the autopsy. Uh, well, I was well. I I felt like well, they may have been picked up in the autopsy. We haven't seen it. I I do think something like that would show up. But then my concern was well, if she was in the water for you know, and again, I don't know when she was found. He called the um, police at six forty something. Uh, she was pronounced at it at ten thirty two. And she was found sometime in between there. And so we're talking, she could have been in the water for a couple of hours, right? Yeah. And so, like, what does that do to the situation as far as, like, being able to tell anything like that? Typically, I do think that some weird combination of that welt being from something. And, again, I'm all ears about what else could cause a welt, but... I've only ever had welts from being stung or bitten by things. I I have. So my opinion on this, and I think that they could prove this with the autopsy. I think you're looking for an unfamiliar thing to that corner. And I think you would have to do specific tests for these two things. And I like to come up with these theories. I hate that this is not. 
something that provides like a great amount of closure if it's true for the family. But I, I went with what you said, and there are two things in Washington State that would have been unusual, particularly for October 2022. And because it's October 2022, I think it narrows the list. So it's not going to be a snake bite because you would, you would know it was a snake bite. But I, I think there are two things potentially at Trout Lake that could have caused what what might have happened here. I don't know why the the friend who's on the shore wouldn't know one of these two things had happened. But I can say that both of them come on very quickly. So the first one that I thought of is a sting by a murder hornet. It's the middle of the day. And murder hornets are these large Asian northern uh, uh, hornets. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They do have them in Washington state now. Some people call them Japanese giant hornets or Asian giant hornets, but it's known as a northern giant hornet. It's a Vespa Mandarinina, I think is the name. It's, it's huge. It has a stinger that's like a quarter of an inch long. It injects a large amount of, of venom. Um, and they do, they have been found to operate in the cold. And people are going to say, no, that's not possible. Well, it is possible in Washington state because I looked it up and they have had a few of these happen. It's not a real known quantity yet, but it goes all the way back to 2019 that they have been identifying them as far north as Seattle, which is way further north than what we're talking about. So I thought about that. And the other thing that I think it could have been that wealth is like, that is where I would focus the rest of my investigation into this death is the Northern Scorpion because those are found along water banks and creeks edges under rocks and on rocks, particularly in the middle of the day. Um, it's rare that they sting people, but it can happen. And both of these things might not necessarily be something that you look at and you go, Oh, well that's fatal. Well, where it would be fatal is if you're in the water and unprepared for it to have happened, both of those two things happening. Um, and I don't know, she could have allergies that this could be way less than what I'm talking about. I don't know if that's if that's the case or not. But she any kind of anaphylactic response is going to make the difference between submersion and drowning look weird. And I think um, I, I think you getting a like a, a welt or a bite or a sting that creates a welt in the water. I think it could kill you a lot faster than you realize. Well, right. Cause even if, cause you know, you've got people saying that she was, she was athletic, a strong swimmer. I mean, and then you've got people saying that the water was only four or five feet deep. Right. Right. And so that doesn't make sense um, for someone to, uh, that can swim to drown in. You just stand up. Right. Yeah. Um, however, if, she got, uh, and then, you know, abrasions and a well makes me think she got stung. And then think about some of those, uh, stings and bites by all kinds of different things. Uh, you know, they can hurt, but they can also cause you to like pass out. Right. And if she passed out in the water, into the water, I mean, and by pass out, I mean, like, like actually, you know, it's from anaphylactic shock, like you, but again, should be, you know, seen in her autopsy, I, I would think. But it's like going unconscious, right? Well, you're right. Typically, people don't die from that unless they fall over into the water. I picked the two things I picked because, one, you wouldn't necessarily know to look for them. Two, if she died immediately from drowning, all the processes from the anaphylactic shock that would have happened stopped. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, what 
uh, is it possible something happened and like, it didn't look like that because of, uh, sort of the way it played out, like her being in the water. Yeah. Like she could end up looking a little puffy and there could be some really easy telltale signs, but by the time you get to an autopsy nine days later, they're going to look like the rest of the body processes. So you're not going to necessarily think of it that way. Right. I I don't know why she didn't draw attention to what was happening. Um, it sort of seemed like uh, her friend, you know, she said, I'm going to go swimming. And then she was, you know, gone. And he, he wasn't concerned about her until he was. And so I don't know why she wouldn't have called out or I don't know what the circumstances, if she called out, would he have even heard it anyway, right? That kind of thing. Um, so my assumption is, let's say he would have heard her. It just happened so fast, right? I do think that things can happen really fast and, you know, especially in situations where all of a sudden you're being, you know, basically stung by something that you were completely clueless was even there, right? Um, And I think that could be why suddenly she had drowned and her friend's looking for her. I mean, I I think that's... A logical explanation. I don't know that it's the only explanation in this case. I think that like this could just be a drowning. And I, I went, um, I did look up uh, Trout Lake Creek Road and like where they would be. Um, it is sort of a remote area. Uh, Trout Lake Creek Road is pretty short. It only gets down to the creek at one particular point uh, off of 141. And I think that's around the area that they were at where, you know, they were, they were at the creek. But I, you know, I look at this type situation and uh, I do want them to have answers. I, I, think, I think more harm than good can come from coming at something from the trafficking perspective or the murder perspective. And I, I don't want to just say, oh, that's ruled out because that's not necessarily the case. I think a situation like they're describing here, I have to bend my mind a little far to get it over here. Now, the intent and the premise of the of the website and everything, I absolutely think they should get answers to their questions. I, If it's an accidental death, an undetermined death, or a death like we're describing where some kind of anaphylactic reaction has happened and sort of been seized up in there, I, I think that makes it take longer, not shorter. Um, I agree with that. However, I also think that Sometimes it's not entirely clear. We've talked about cases on this show where we come up with an opinion specifically for the purpose of saying, is there another explanation than like, and I'll throw out, for instance, Diane Schuler and the, the Nigeria Fuleri or the, the brain eating amoeba, amoeba, Nobody else talks about things like that. That's one of the reasons I enjoy talking about that type of uh, situation being the result of what, what we just talked about with Hannah Rose's case. I'm just saying Hannah Rose can be a strong swimmer, drown in that creek, and there can be a perfectly plausible explanation for that to be a natural-ish death. I mean, is a, is a, if, you got sting, if you get stung by a scorpion and you drown, is that an accidental death or is that a natural death? It's accidental. Okay. Without 
any additional information uh, being provided. When you hear this story, like if you just hear she was found floating face down in the water and now she's naked, but we find out she went skinny dipping like of her own accord. What is, what do you think happened? Like without all the other like side I mean, you just think she drowned, right? Yeah, I mean, you could. This is a this is a case that's a good example of how easy it is to go either way. And but I think that if okay, so maybe if I put it this way, if the sheriff and the investigators are presuming a drowning, right? And uh, you know, they've done a few things here and there. Uh, you know, at least initially, they thought it was suspicious according to what we've read here. Um, I think that it it could be really difficult to get that clearly across. And yeah. I, I feel like instead of them thinking, well, you know, this is this ongoing investigation, um, you know, this is a, a case where a young lady has drowned. And I think that that can be misconstrued as, you know, this open case that nobody's doing anything on. I can absolutely empathize with how hard that is to accept. There's absolutely no reason why she should have drowned. Some of the things that are mentioned here, especially with regard to the friend she was with, um, he got put on high alert and, and, you know, if there was no suspicion, if we just said, oh, yeah, she gra- she just drowned, uh, there could be some conversations here that would, like, get whatever her stuff was at his vacation house back, right? Uh, there could be some information like, well, how much did she have to drink? And so some of those could be answered, I think, through just a normal conversation. Um, I think they could be, too. But because he... You know, because it is it is really hard for anybody to accept this perfectly healthy young woman just drowned when she can swim and it's only four or five feet deep. But he did immediately call 911 or not immediately, but within the vicinity of her because I don't know what their relationship is. But my my thought is like, who would he be to be like, you need to get back here at a certain time or expect her to be back, except for the fact that they went there together, right? She went off swimming. She's allowed to do that. They were just hanging out. And so because it became this investigation quickly and like they, it immediately went to sort of a next level. I mean, if it comes down to it, it absolutely will be penned on him. With some of these questions, they're irrelevant to whether or not, you know, she was murdered. It doesn't matter if it was a homicide or an accident. Some of these could be answered civilly, right? And then you could know different things. And I feel like he removed himself from the situation. Now, you said he was married. Yeah. I mean, maybe this was, you know, that could have been contributing to the situation, uh, he didn't want to be involved in a big hubbub because it would cause him problems that, you know, shouldn't have been happening. Now, if there's more to that kind of thing, right, I mean, there could be some information we're missing. I can I, take a pretty hard look at an autopsy report and give you, like, that's where we're at. Like, without that, and like, I have these pieces of it. Autopsies take forever. My theory is that 
the attorneys have seen some level of autopsy report in this case and they're unhappy with it. I think it's just an unintended death. Well, I don't right. I don't have anything that indicates any kind of homicide. I don't even know that there was really signs of a struggle. I mean, I've seen it described several different ways. Because in the pictures that I've seen, like, there wouldn't just be, like, some abrasions and bruises if someone was trying to kill her. This girl could probably take them. You, you know what I mean? Like, she looks like she's in shape, and there would be serious signs of struggle, right? I think so. Um, anybody that's in their, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, I mean, you're going to see them fighting back. And it's going to be obvious, not only on you know, the, the victim, but also like if the friend was responsible, there would be signs of this because there would be one heck of a fight happening. Yeah, this is a case. So I'll just say, I'll, I'll end it with sort of this from my side. I think there, there, I could go either way. If you brought me uh, some evidence of a fight or you showed me some pictures where nails were broken and she clearly was, you know, defending herself or something like that. I could look at that and, and I would go, yep, this needs more of an investigation. But I could also look at that same information and be like, okay, I think that there's a test you can do to prove that this is some kind of anaphylactic thing that maybe wasn't done because it's unusual. Or like you're sort of running into the end result of we don't know. And I hate cases like that, but I know that it happens. Right, but there's still going to be a cause and manner of death. And at the end of the day, I think that that you know that being determined and provided, I think that that could put an end to quite a bit. Or sometimes deaths aren't cases, right? Yeah, they're just um, deaths. And in this situation, um, I do think I am very, very sorry uh, for the family's loss. And it, it's very tragic what happened. But, you know, I and I hope that they do get some sort of closure. And I hope that the investigators will at least if, if it's if they can't know what happened they need to say we can't determine what happened i if agree they, with that yeah. if they know she drowned and it was more than likely some sort of you know uh accidental drowning that nobody else was involved in they need to tell the family that right and so i think that there's definitely some pieces of the puzzle that could be filled in here um for the family but i don't necessarily think that it's going to be um a big true crime type thing right as far as you know something that will have to go on and on and be investigated it may just be she drowned there has been a lot of effort put in uh to uh, seeking and trying to obtain justice for hannah and i hope that everybody involved gets the answers that they're looking for Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time.